This is After Shift. I'm Brooks Broders, your host, and welcome to our first episode. You're probably thinking, why the hell do we need another podcast? Well, that's a good question. Basically, I like to sit around with friends, especially those in the food and beverage business, have a drink, talk about their lives, and seeing what's next on their plate. We'll be in person, so occasionally our audio is not going to be that spectacular. That simply adds to the character. Speaking of characters, our first up is Don Mahaney from Scratch and Company in Troy Hill. You'll hear about his chess skills or lack thereof, his passion for local foods and how that's leading to a new business model for him, his recovery from a life-threatening accident, and how important the people are, his people are, to his business and its future success. You may even hear a little bit about his Peloton skills. First, thanks to Charlie, my son, for putting a little bit of music together for the podcast, for my other kids, Cora and Jack, for telling me to basically get off my ass and do something. So pour yourself your favorite drink, put on your headphones, and enjoy After Shift. How you doing, Don? Uh, swell, Brooks. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. So, uh, first of all, what are we drinking? Uh, this is Oban 14. Ooh. It was the first, uh, first adult beverage I really fell in love with. I was uh, 21 years old, just started working at Rock Bottom Brewery in Cleveland. And they had a pretty decent scotch selection. And um, this is the first one I tried, and it was the second one I tried, and the third one I tried. Um, so, you know, just wanted to bring it back to um, some of my origin while we sat here and, and talked for a little bit. Um, it's mellow, has some character. I'd like to think that's a good goal for me to have. Yeah, it's good. Uh. Now, do you drink scotch often? No, not really. No, <laughs> no I, I, don't, I don't drink too much, um, too much straight liquor at all. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. What's your favorite cocktail? Um, you had a go-to. A daiquiri. A daiquiri. Absolutely. Not a frozen strawberry daiquiri. No, but I wouldn't turn one down. Yeah. yeah. But old school daiquiri. Yeah. yeah. All right, so what goes into a daiquiri? Um, rum and deliciousness. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect cocktail. It, it's something you can just, sometimes we call them snackeries, shoot them back real fast. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, all right, so where are we sitting right now? Uh, we're in the restaurant, Scratch & Co. in Troy Hill. My place. Yeah. yeah. So you've been here how many years? Uh, we're coming up on six years. Six years. Holy November shit, the 19th. Long time. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it feels like forever. <laughs> well, the last year and a half has been. Yeah, the last year and a half has been. Like dog years. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's been, been a fun one. So you made a lot of changes from before the pandemic till now. So some folks, if, uh, there's going to be like three people listening to this probably anyway, so we don't have to really <laughs> worry about too much. But Hi, Jen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. My, yeah, maybe my kids, maybe my mom. Hi, mom. Um, but so um, we're in the room in the bar area now where you used to have um, uh, karaoke yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. what would you do in here? So the bar used to be, uh, there was a banquette uh, that, that held a number of, of two top tables. And the, the atmosphere was, uh, was the same menu, same service, but the atmosphere was a little bit more raucous on this side than in the dining room side. And I think that's going to remain the same. Um, but where we're sitting now, we installed a to-go wine room. Um, and along that banquette where formerly there were some two top tables are now these high back booths that one of our now former staff members designed and built by hand. They're nice. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And they create this little like... Um, these little universes that people can come and sit in. So whether you're a four top or an eight top or even a 10 top, you can come in there and like have your own little party. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, but how did you get here to scratch? Like when, when you found this space, yeah. what was it before? Uh, it was a restaurant for 31 years called uh, Billy's Troy Hill Bistro. 
and uh, Bill Armstrong, who did a lot of work, I believe, with uh, Allegheny Center Mall, deeded the two buildings together. This is actually one of two buildings. The dining room and the kitchen are in the other one, um, just partitioned by this uh, beautiful wall there. Um, he had this vision of, of creating like a steakhouse in Troy Hill. And um, he did it very successfully. It survived for 31 years, which is, you know, crazy. I mean, yeah. Crazy talk. That's a lot. Um, and it is something that, you know, that I have in my sights. I, I'd like this, this space to have um, some legacy potential for sure. Nice. Yeah. So if I recall, uh, since you and I have been friends for a while, uh, you did a lot of this work by yourself. When we uh, were remodeling the place, um, you know, we were cash strapped. We were definitely undercapitalized. Uh, we had a really great general contracting partner in Mr. Renovation. He also just recently did Woods House. Uh, he had done the Allegheny Wine Mixer before and um, lives in um, Spring Hill and just a really great workhorse of a guy and just allowed me to work with him, which was fantastic. Saved me a ton of money. But um, did a lot of found material things. Went to Construction Junction for a lot of, a lot of the things. Um, built the bar out of flooring from my house. <laughs> and and did Wait, the you took the floor up from your house, or the, no, that was, was existing floor you don't really use anymore. It was flooring that was left over from a. Because I'm not very handy, so <laughs> you know, hammers and me are allergic to each other. So yeah, it created a nice flat surface, and I could just pour a, a epoxy resin over top of it, and it turned out pretty all right. Nice. Yeah. How long did it take you from beginning to, to when you opened? You'll never believe it. We closed on the sale August 5th. We opened November the 19th. Like had not been in the space before August 5th. <laughs> demoed it and rebuilt it yeah three 30-yard dumpsters we took out nice yeah so then the first day you opened yeah it was a disaster i was gonna say that was my question Total what disaster. happened well it was a disaster so so yeah we, you know yay for us for getting the place open and uh absolutely terrible was not prepared um you know i think having a somewhat successful run as a restaurant manager prior to doing this um i believed in myself a little too much uh, and so took a lot of things for granted, actually shut the kitchen down at 8 p.m. because we were running like 40 minute ticket times and just <laughs> were not making anybody happy, not impressing anyone. <laughs> so we just closed it down and tried to regroup. Um, it was a rough few, uh, few months to begin with, for sure. But now here we are six years later. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you get into the business to begin with? Where'd, um, where'd you grow up? So my parents... Um, and, and sisters and I moved around a lot when we were kids, when I was a kid. Um, but I was born in Westview. Uh, both of my parents' families are from this area um, in Troy Hill and Mount Troy. And I fell in love with restaurants at 13. I had worked a bingo night at a volunteer fire hall for my grandparents, who were uh, very active in the Mount Troy fire hall. And when they did a bingo night, you know, it was this cloudy, nasty room of what I thought were like ancient people. They were like my age and older <laughs> um, playing bingo. And they, they wanted sodas and hot dogs and pretzels. And I got to stand behind the bar <laughs> and make those things and um, bring them out to people and make them really happy and have conversations. And it was, uh, I look forward to it every Thursday. It was wonderful. So did you say your parents, were they the callers? <laughs> no, no, my oh. parents weren't involved in that. No, it was my, my grandparents were, um, my grandfather was the president of the fire hall for years. My grandmother ran the kitchen for years. It was just a really fun place to hang out as a child. Nice. Yeah. I always wanted to call bingo. I mean, some of those people were really good at it, right? I mean, they, they you know, hold your cards and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I don't play bingo very often, though. I think bingo took a hit when the casino came to town. 
I'm assuming he took a hit with COVID too, probably. I, I don't know that there is a bingo anymore. For and sure. I don't even know if you can have big, you're allowed to smoke inside with bingo games anymore. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it may be a relic. I don't know. I may yeah. still have an old dapper somewhere, though, that, uh, you know, those uh, things that to mark your cards. It would be great. So, so I would watch my grandmother's. You should have bingo here. Play. I should not do that. But I, <laughs> I mean, I do some crazy <laughs> things. I will, I will have a nice, like, you know, seven course dinner and, and have beautiful art hanging on the wall. And then we will sing karaoke later on at night. That's totally fine. But I'm not going to play bingo. But watching these women and men play with, like, these, they'd have all these chips out and, and, and they would have these, like, magnetic, like, wands to pick them up with. And the whole room would be this clatter of all these, like, Chips hitting after the, someone hitting the after wands. someone after someone won. <laughs> yeah. You'd hear groans and all this like click 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 click. It was hilarious. That is funny. Yeah. All right. So um, you made hot dogs and sold soda. Yeah. Yeah. So then, where'd you go from there? Only uh, you can only go out from there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that because I ended up at an Irish pub in college, um, and that was <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> where'd you go to school? I went to John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, oh, nice. yeah. and I uh, worked in the flats for for a couple summers at a place called Fado. Um, and I remember like I spent one entire shift in their walk-in cooler, just changing kegs because it was St. Patrick's day and they were that busy <laughs> and I wore a jacket and just like had to pick up kegs and put them on the shelf and like take other ones down. It was insane. And they, they were all half kegs. So they're heavy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I was young. You know? yeah. yeah. You're not that old now. <laughs> I, you know, I strapping feel it, man. I, I feel it some days. I feel it some days for sure. <laughs> nice. So you graduated John Carroll. What was your major? Uh, English literature minor in philosophy and um, took what I thought was going to be a year off before I went to graduate school. And that's uh, 22 years later. Yeah. Graduate school still in the horizon, right? Still it's coming. It's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I retire from this and go back, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So then you're in Cleveland. Yeah. Where do you go? I stayed there. I loved it there. I love it there still. I'll be there tomorrow. It's an amazing city. Um, I ended up working as I said earlier, at Rock Bottom Brewery for, I think, four years. Um, and that was really cool in terms of learning how to uh, manage high-volume situations as a server. And, you know, I would run a 14-table section. Nice. <laughs> right. And just, you made know. good money. It made, a, made really good money. Made really good money. And then spent a lot of it at the bar down the street. Um, what you're supposed to do with it. I, that's, what that age. that's what I thought I was yeah. supposed to do with it. Yeah. I, there were, in retrospect, a lot better things I could have done. But... Um, Loads of fun, made really good friends that I'm still really close with. And um, another fantastic thing about the restaurant industry are those sort of social bonds you can form over time. Um, as people find themselves, you know, as they are finding their way through life and kind of battling whatever their expectations are for themselves and what their family's expectations are for themselves, I think we find a lot of people working in the industry that are um, sort of in search of themselves. And um, it's a privilege to be around somebody during that time in their mm -hmm. life. Um, you would say that that would happen in college, but for me, it didn't really happen very much in college. That was a, a postgraduate sort of situation for me. So um, that was a really formative, great time for me. But I ended up going to a, uh, a small French bistro called Parker's New American Bistro in Ohio City on the near west side of Cleveland. And that's where I fell in love with food. Mm -hmm. That's where I, I understood where food came from. Because a farmer would come to the restaurant and they would bring their like amazing fresh produce or mushrooms or chickens or eggs or whatever it was. And then I would get to talk to them and like learn about the process of growing these things and um, could go visit them on the farm and 
would watch then um, the chef team put together these amazing dishes and then be a part of, of selling them and getting feedback from people. And I was just, that was it. That was what I was going to do the rest of my life. Now you, you know, you didn't cook there. No, 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 I didn't, I didn't end up cooking until I worked for uh, Eaton Park when I was at the diners. Yeah. And you know, that was a fantastic experience too, learning how to, um, how to call the wheel from the inside and how to, how to be a short order cook. And that matured over time as I worked through uh, different restaurant situations and found myself just having to jump on the line. Um, so you just learn over yeah. time, right? Yeah. So then you moved, so then you, like you said, you're at the diner. Mm-hmm. Um, then you went to Six Pen Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. General manager there. Yeah. That was a great time too. Um, you know, I think in. Who was the chef then? Uh, Chris Jackson. Oh, that's right. Start, was, and yeah, then, and then, yeah. uh, then Keith Fuller took over. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really awesome thing too. Like, I mean, was that, that was for me, that was 2008. The restaurant had been around for a couple of years. Um, and similar to what I was experiencing in Cleveland at Parker's coming to Pittsburgh and seeing people that were absolutely dedicated to farms and absolutely dedicated to old world preservation techniques and, um, really infusing food with flavors that would last and that would really bring something at that time that was uncommon to, to downtown, especially, um, that, that people got to enjoy over and over and over again. That, that was just a wonderful thing to be, um, to be involved with. Yeah. And those guys, both Chris and, and uh, uh, Keith, they were great chefs. They were into it and they really, um, uh, you know, Chris making his own ketchup and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was, um, it was a good place. Absolutely. They were great together. And then it was, it was fantastic to watch, uh, Keith mature after that and, and come into his own and, and, and make the menu into what he wanted it to be. Um, and you know, that guy, uh, he has talent on talent on talent. He was, he was so fun to work with and a joy to be around. Yeah. 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 Um, so you ended up having an accident, correct? Bicycling. Which which one? Well, (laughs) had a few, (laughs) we can do a whole show on that. Yeah. How to survive. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, not bicycling. I was riding a scooter, so not much different, but, uh, I was on my way to work and I was T-boned by a van. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, to anybody who's listening, maybe if there's four people listening, uh, wear a helmet. It's like super important. They save lives. I was not in the habit of wearing a helmet. It happened to be cold that day. It was in November, I don't, um, 29th. And, uh, uh, so I put a helmet on and I wore my jacket and, um, those two things are why I'm able to have a conversation with you right now. Um, the van rested on my helmet when uh, all was said and done. Yeah. And um, it was pretty crazy um, how fortuitous it was. Uh, the intersection where it happened, there was a Popeyes across the street. The cops were in the Popeyes. They ran across the street. They called the fire department, which wow. was around the corner, who came over and jacked the van off of me, I think, 13 minutes later by their account. Um, and so I made it. You know, and who knows what would have happened if another minute had elapsed, right? Wow. So, um, yeah, no memory of that or a whole lot of things afterwards. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think it's uh, it was just an amazing thing to go back to, to, to the police officers and to tell them thank you years later in Wilkinsburg. And if those guys are listening ever, thank you. You're lifesavers. An amazing job. Really appreciate that you're around. Um, and, yeah. And, and Eaton Park was fantastic, too. They, they, they held my job. They, they sort of helped me uh, find my way back into the workforce and were really uh, patient with me as I, as I made my way into, that, uh, in, into those positions. And um, I couldn't, couldn't have asked for anything better. 
huge support network. That's great. Um, have you had the Popeye's chicken sandwich? You know, I haven't. Oh, and and I've and I've not done Chick Fil A, and I never will. Like, and and I think I can. Dodge. You've got you've got to try dodge. the Popeye. I'm I'm just telling you, it is really really. It's that good. good. It's great. Yeah. My son yesterday compare, he drove like all the way down the south side. He's like, I was starving. I had to go get a chicken sandwich. It's good. Problem is, it sits in there a little bit. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's a hearty sandwich, so it'll um, it it'll stick with you for a while. But it's uh, it is uh, it is a delightful that's, treat. Every that's now the number again. one for you. Uh, yeah, for the chicken sandwich, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't get there often. Who else has good fried chicken in town? Good fried chicken in town. Yeah. Um, well, you know, actually, who uh, I love the you know the bias, but um, the guys, the folks at Fairlane had a really nice fried chicken. Yeah, they did. Um, Graham, yeah. yeah, did a really good job. And, His biscuits uh, were outstanding too. Kevin Sousa years ago down there, he had good fried chicken. Yeah. Um, what does he do that's not fantastic? Yeah. Though? Yeah. Um, so you know, that's a good question though. I'll be honest with you, I don't get fried chicken very often. Hmm. What's your favorite fried chicken in town? Well, I mean, we do a good one here. It's a it's a uh, gluten free breading, uh, which I think is anomalous, and um, it's it's been pretty well received. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really happy about so that. So what do you use instead of flour? Um, there's a rice flour, and we actually don't use panko. It's a rice flour and a tapioca flour blend. Mm, nice. Yeah. Kenny uh, Kenny kills it on that one. There's variations. He's doing a Nashville hot, and um, he has a uh, an Italian blend he does for uh, things that are appropriate to take Italian seasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, but fried chicken, fried chicken, fried chicken. Um, you know, I went to um, the Eagle the other day. Not so bad. Yeah? Not so bad. That's, they just opened. I've not been mm-hmm. there yet. Yeah. They're out of uh, Cincinnati in Columbus, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and I should also mention that I went to uh, Coupe de Ville, and uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, they do have a nice fr- uh, fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, just everything about that place is kind of fun. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know who also has a, a pretty g- a interesting chicken sandwich is um, uh, Christian Rebecca out at uh, Oak Hill Post. Yeah, but what what do they Boonfield. not put on sandwich bread that's not outstanding? They do make I it. Mean, they make and they're big, but they're big sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little biased to them, right? They used to work for, with me. Yeah, um, yeah. So burgers, people. Yeah, well, I never worked with them, but their yeah. burgers are fantastic. Their pasta is fantastic. But that chicken sandwich is and their Instagram like feed is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right, so. Let's go back. Yeah. So we're um, having an accident. Mm-hmm. Time off. Mm-hmm. What's next? Um, you know, at, it was it was not so. It, that was a life changer for me. Yeah. I mean, it was. It took It'd be for anybody. Yeah, it took it took probably um, two years for me to really figure out um, how I wanted to reorient myself. Because prior to that, I was just working to get things done. I didn't even know why. I just enjoyed being around and just wanted to do things, and that was enough. But after that, you know, the, the sort of question of, like, you know, why am I here? What am I doing with my time um, started to bother me a little bit. And it was really strange. It was opening day, um, Pirates opening day, and I watched a, uh, a homeless gentleman, a, a gentleman experiencing homelessness, I should say, uh, appeared to be a little tipsy and he was uh, struck by a car mm. and he ended up uh, sort of doing a pirouette falling on his butt and um, there was a crowd of people walking down sixth and um, all just blasted you know? yeah. <laughs> and sort of laughing and pointing and mocking and whatnot and I, I came out of the building and um, uh, called a couple of people called an ambulance got him you know taken to where he needed to go. And uh, 
I, I decided then that I, I needed to find a way to understand how the world was working on a deeper level than I understood at that time. So I took a year and did AmeriCorps, hmm. um, public allies. And um, following that, had this amazing experience with um, uh, Tree Pittsburgh and, and worked with them on uh, establishing their tree nursery that is now in Lawrenceville, which is just an amazing facility for anybody who is interested in the crazy good work that they're doing in propagating trees from seeds. It's interesting. A lot of people don't know this, but um, if you go to a tree nursery to buy a tree, it's like 99.999% certain that that tree was raised from seed in Oregon mm. where, the, where the growing conditions are ideal. Huh. And then when they become a couple inches tall, they'll come over to uh, wherever they're going to be in the United States via shipping lanes. Um, and then they're planted, but they're all genetic clones as well. So they're super susceptible to blight infestation, mm. what have you, um, as opposed to seeds that could be, um, you know, fall from a tree and grow like the, they should. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they become genetically diverse and can withstand those kinds of things. That's the mission of that tree nursery. Um, that they're, they're just doing incredible work there. Uh, propagating and then getting those those um, trees that are hardied and, and and genetically diverse into the population here, um, so that was a really cool thing to be involved in. And yeah. then um, I ended up working with um, uh, people experiencing homelessness for I think four years, hmm. which was um, fantastic. As a job or as a yeah yep. yeah I was a, I was a case manager, um, and I would, you know, sit in um, drop-in centers, so people call them soup kitchens, and um, have lunch with people and um, talk through what was going on in their lives and, and understood sort of the underlying drivers of, of how anybody could find themselves in these really abhorrent situations you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy on the worst day where you're feeling really horrible things yeah. about them. Um, and, you know... It was really a, a difficult thing to realize that you know, it wasn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was something that 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 I, I got to see. I had the privilege of being around, um, but I couldn't handle it. Um, my ex wife handles it really well. She still does that work. Um, there are people who make careers of it that are just um, better disposed mm -hmm. and 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 able to make change in a in a um, in a in a more sort of appropriate fashion than I ever could. And um, so when it came time to leave, I decided it was time to leave. And yeah. as it happens, this restaurant came for sale at that exact same time. <laughs> and it was a really cool thing to be able to... So you're out of the business for four or five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just jump right back in. Yeah, it was not a wise move. Um, <laughs> it wasn't smart. It wasn't smart. I don't think anybody who knew me at the time was surprised that I did that. And I think they just all collectively shook their head and then watched everything unfold. Um, it, it it wasn't the best decision um, to go about it the way that I did, but it was the best decision to do it, Yeah, if that makes sense. No, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're back. So we had a little pause. Uh, so, Don, who came in? Who were we talking to there for a second? Uh, that was Thomas Went. The, the famed jazz drummer. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah. he was here to tour the space. Yeah, he's going to come back and play at brunch. Uh, nice. So we had a trio. It was him and Mark Strickland often, and uh, a third musician that would come through. 
um, for brunch from 11 to 1, and we're going to do it again, and I'm, I'm super excited. I, I was so shocked because, you know, when uh, COVID happened, I thought, you know, Jazz was going to die in Pittsburgh, but, um, you know, Con Alma did such a great job of, of supporting jazz musicians throughout the, the pandemic and, and still today. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, they're going to be booked. There's no way they're coming back. But I called him and he's like, yeah, definitely want to come and check out the space. And he um, did and was here and he agreed to come back and play from 11 till 1 on Sundays. And I'm That's like, awesome. Bro, yeah, man. It's great. It's fabulous. I, I couldn't be happier. So Conompa just opened their second place too downtown. They did. I've yet to be there. Um, I love the shady side spot. Um, I kind of feel like I'd, I want to tell the shady side spot that I'm not like you're still dear to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to check out downtown for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get back into it here. So now oh, so we talked about how you got here and a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, so yeah. COVID hits. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to... You know, you were kind of king of COVID here a little bit, right? I mean, you were you were named That's a terrible title for it. Anybody. Is it is it? No, you're right. It's a bad <laughs> the king of COVID. It's not the right thing. But but City Paper called you Pittsburgher of the Year, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, because of the work you did. So so COVID hits March. What happens here at Scratch? Um, so you know, um, in the weeks leading up to it, uh, it was rather apparent that. Um, whatever was happening in Europe was going to happen here. And um, March 14th was our last service. Um, I told the staff to go ahead and, and file for unemployment. And uh, the, of course, nothing would be contested. And we would do whatever we could to support people as we figured out what was going on. Um, two days later, uh, we started calling staff back and had them help us transform the space into a pay what you can um, marketplace, you know. So we had uh, food that was available for free if people wanted it for free um, or needed it for free, as it were. Uh, we had uh, you know, sundries, as it were. So you know, toothpaste, feminine products, razors, whatever anybody could possibly. I was just like scratching my head, like what pet food? Let's get pet food. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it was cool. We saw people coming through. Um, regularly a couple times a week um to get things because i think you know so many people aside from being afraid of getting covid were without income or they had no idea when their next check was going to come and back to previous conversations um that we're all so close to being like you know one two paychecks removed from from not having an option and there was no way in hell that, you know, if we're all going to go down, I'm going to slow the sinking. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to try to make a raft or something. Um, there's no way that that was something we were going to abide. So we just opened the doors and created whatever we could create for people. Now, were you able to cover your costs during that time? Or how, what, what, what would no. you do? No. I mean. But it didn't sink so- you. No, it didn't. Your raft was filled enough. <laughs> I think, you know, Sticking we had done... the raft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. We had done well enough uh, the previous year to have a little bit of a cushion. And um, I think, you know, f- as aggravating and as scary and, and uncertain as that time was between the federal government, the state government, um, organizations like Bridgeway Capital, um, our bank, um, the URA all came together and and created programs to either um, 
withhold payments for existing loans or to create new loans that would be f- uh, uh, would have a, a period of forbearance that would be you know an unknown time frame at that yeah. point. Um, I so think you took advantage of everything you could get. Anything and everything we could um, without being obnoxious. Yeah. You know, like we... we but you needed it. Well, everybody needed it. Yeah. Well, and I don't know about everybody. There's a lot of... In the restaurant business, almost everybody needed it. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Unless you were, you know, selling pizza or the fast food place. I mean, those guys were able to... Because they were mm-hmm. able to pivot real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone likes pizza. They could deliver it. They make it easily... It was hard to do, though, you know, from my pizza friends that um, just getting people to come into work and the staff and all that stuff. I mean, it was yeah. it was hard. Yeah, there's there are um, there are legacy issues that the restaurant industry is going to have to deal with for sure in terms of staffing and reimagining itself. Um, and I think that um, there's a in Pittsburgh, especially a really interesting cohort of people who are, you know, I don't think people identify with one another in that, in that regard, but, but there's this, like, this really interesting like pulse in Pittsburgh of people who are really interested in, and, in, and in reinventing themselves and, and doing whatever they can do to, to meet the challenges ongoing in new and inventive ways. And, um, uh, they're doing really good work. They're yeah. always doing really good work. I mean, uh, Spencer Warren, for instance, mm-hmm. doing like from day one, incredible things for the community, incredible things for his staff. And, you know, <clears throat> that place is insanely busy. Yeah. As a result. And I think we'll continue to be so. What's your favorite cocktail from Spencer? Oh, still the Faust Pack. It'll Faust always pack. be the Faust Pack. Yeah. What is it? I, I, it's just this amazing concoction of spice. I don't really, I'm not one of those persons that goes to a bar and asks the bartender what's in the drink. I just taste you just, it. You just taste it and it tastes yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to work all the time. His cocktails are quite tasty. They're always balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He, and he is another one that did great stuff. I mean, yeah. spent a lot of time and a lot of passion mm-hmm. trying to help out those folks. Because as you said, there are a lot of people that, you know, either new in the industry, have been here a long time, they make a good living but and it's just not the restaurant industry. There's a, it, almost anybody. If you lose your paycheck for a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. a month, you're, you've got a problem. Um, so you have a pay-as-you-go place, and now yeah. you, then you start stepping in and doing food for other completely different things you've, than you've ever done before. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the income insecurity and food insecurity. You know, it's it's an issue. Period. And I think what COVID um, did for us as it were, was um, shine a glaring light on those issues and say, um, made us face those facts and say, you know, what are you going to do about this now? And if you're going to do something about it, my opinion on this was if I was going to do something about it now, then that's something we have to continue to do, just period. So, yeah, we, we, we started sending meals via Wesley Family Services to uh, seniors throughout Allegheny County, um, the uh, United Way stepped in mm-hmm. and did some uh, amazing work to help bring us um, some uh, remuneration for that. Um, we started sending meals to the YMCA on the north side. Uh, it's the only YMCA in the in the Pittsburgh area that still has SROs or single room occupancy units where mm-hmm. people actually live there. Um, and, you know, the, it's not a um, subsidized housing situation, but it, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's designed for people with limited incomes. And, um, limited resources period. So access to jobs, job security, income and food are, are an issue there. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we could, we could send whatever we could. Yeah. Yeah. 
mean, I, you know, it's fascinating. So you pivoted, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. said, okay, I need to do something different. And with your name, Scratch and Company now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you scratched for every little <laughs> penny, right? I mean, you had to. I actually and it was, that, and yeah. it was, you scratched around kind of <laughs> like, shit, I got a, as many people did, right? Yeah. Spencer and other folks yeah. you talked yeah. about and, yeah. and Kate and all these different people yeah. were like, fuck, I got to, I got to, I, I, either I just go away or I got to figure out how to step in and do something different. Yeah, I want to be a part of the world. I want to be a part of the world that emerges from this, and I want to be proud of that. And um, I, there's no turning back. I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in, in, in recreating what we had before. It was shit. I don't want that. No one wants that. I mean, maybe some people do, but I'm not trying to recreate that situation. I want to take what was good from from that time frame and apply it to what we're doing now. And I want to create better, more equitable circumstances for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So then you decided. Um, uh, like you were saying, you, you completely changed your business mm-hmm. model. How many times did you change your business model? And we'll get to the to yeah, the, sure. to the scratching company later. But yeah, yeah. But uh, during this time frame, <clears throat> right from March until probably September, how many times in your head did you completely change your business model? Um, you know, I think it was a, a decision to be nimble. Period, and so it was a constant state of flux. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as we found ourselves in new situations or new data was being brought to us we just said okay fine we'll deal with that how are we going to do it and we found you know we would do outdoor dining and to whatever extent that made sense right and i'm not a fan of outdoor dining i don't like you don't like to sit outside and have a cocktail and a nice dinner not in the street no well you're inside the street but they blocked it off for you oh i think the city did a fantastic job i'm overwhelmed and thrilled that it happened um just for me personally you know, unless it's like a romantic setting and a picnic blanket's involved. It was a little I'm sterile. It, it was yeah. a little sterile. I'm not, I'm not into that. Yeah. But it was great. I mean, our regulars just were falling over themselves to come and support the restaurant. And I think around Pittsburgh in general, I can't speak for other cities, it was a really fantastic thing to see regulars really supporting the restaurants that they had become loyal to and continue to do so now um, with no thought of getting paid back for it. And I think that was the really magical thing that kept this idea of us being a service organization really alive. So no matter what it was um, that that the data brought to us, you know, when we were going to be red, yellow, green on a certain time frame, and then that changed abruptly, and then we had spikes in COVID cases, God, and that changed God again. Damn red, green, <laughs> yellow. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, we're not going to be yellow. It's <laughs> off, slightly off yellow. We're going to go kind of, you know, brown. <laughs> it was aggravating, but, you know, it forced our hand. It forced us to be creative. It forced us to continue to do things that would help us remain relative to our neighbors. And that's all that really matters, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't give a shit if you have the best of anything unless you're demonstrating some relevancy and some value to the people around you. You know, what's the difference? So COVID was pretty shitty for most people or that time during the pandemic. But what was interesting um, and what I found was like all of a sudden you're spending time with people that you normally don't spend time with. For me, it was a lot of my kids, right? I mean, I, and which was great most of the time. Every now and again, they'd start driving bananas because, you know, two of them come home from college and they're here. We end up taking a trip. So you were able to take a trip with your son Mm -hmm. across the country. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like, I'm, I'm just going to smile ear to ear for the next 20 minutes, probably. Um, 
It was incredible. Um, you just hopped in the car. We didn't just hop well, in the car, man. Yeah. I had to plan it, right? I mean, yeah. we left, right? Um, so where'd you go? Uh, to the West Coast. And this was in? We were hiking in North Park, and Isaac, my son, had seen a tree that he thought was impressive in size. And I was like, this is a thing I can't ignore. And I was like, hey, man, do you know that there are trees that are like 280 feet tall? And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, man, like three times the size of this oak. <laughs> And he was like, no way, dad. And I had my phone and I'm in the woods, but whatever. I opened my phone and I showed him the trees and he's like, no way. We should see that. And I was like, we should. We're going soon. So when did <laughs> you go? Um, in August. We left, uh, I think, August 14th. We were gone for two weeks. Uh, drove like 7,000 miles. It was crazy. I'm, I was really tired. But it was a great time to go because we did something semi-similar, yeah. but not as long. Yeah. In June. And there was nobody around. Like there was, yeah. when we had... Yellowstone to ourselves, Grand Tetons to ourselves. Yeah. You went early. You yeah. you had that luxury. There were lots of people out when we were there. Like Badlands, I know you stopped in Badlands, was crushed with people. Mm. Still crazy beautiful. Um, the only place we really found relative solitude was Canyonlands. And um, I would go back there in a heartbeat. Yeah. I would spend weeks there if I could. But this is a trip that you would never... No, I mean, never, never. Would never been able to pull off. No, and I and I think well, pull off is a, is a thing. I think COVID really helped me recalibrate a lot of my priorities and to determine you know what is worth spending time on. And as much as I love work, and I I mean I love work. I love doing what I do. Um, I identify it maybe a little, identify with it maybe a little bit too closely, but um, it, it COVID really helped me reframe priorities and and who really mattered to me and why they really mattered to me my circle of associates and friends got smaller and more meaningful and um, my relationship with my son matured exponentially that's awesome yeah it, it's great um but it you know it, it definitely made me come out of that situation treasuring each moment with him incredibly more than i did before so you know, I can't take him away for two weeks this year. There's just, there's no way that that can happen. But we play a shit ton of chess. <laughs> and Are you any good at chess? Can you? Te I mean, my youngest son and I were just talking about playing chess. Yeah. I don't, have to, I don't know how to play chess. Is it hard? Just play it. Just play it. Just. It's not hard, right? I mean, you just look up. I can look up the the rules on a, on a, on on the internet, right? The I mean, you play I cards, anything, right? right? You've you've played. Yeah, like, oh yeah, you play, we play a lot of cards. You get COVID, you get yeah. better over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get better over time. You learn things over time. You learn. Now, do you have like patterns. a cool chess set, like, uh, or just general everyday chess? Not, yeah, we have like four chess sets. None of them are great. But four all, chess sets? You yeah. have like different games going on at the same time? I wish. Maybe that was what we should do. That we should set them up. That would be a mess. But um, he's he's good. <laughs> he's good. Does he beat you? He's ten years old. He's beat me twice, um, and he almost beat me today. It was really close. Uh, I thought I had him in six. I even called it. I said six moves. You're done. Now, are you one of those kind and of... And he said, he says, he's like, he's like six moves. And I was like, yeah, man, six moves, it's over. And he made a move that I didn't see. And the game went on for like another hour. <laughs> I still won against my 10-year-old kid. <laughs> now, are you are, are you one of those kind of dicks that, that are going to like stop playing when he beats you every time? Like, I don't, no. I don't want to play anymore. No, the, the, the time that he beat me, I, I knocked the king over. I was like, the game's over. And he's like, what do you mean? And I, was like, and I showed him why the game was over. And I... I was like, that was an incredible game. And today, you know, he lost. Yeah, he 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 conceded. He lost, but he was like, he's like, I can't believe I lost. I was like, dude, that was an incredibly good game. Like, you're gonna like 
dominate me really soon. And that's fine. So you better get practice. I, you know, he's my only, <laughs> he's my only partner. All right, I'll practice. So, Charlie and so I'll good. practice. Charlie and I'll practice. All right, so we're out of COVID. So what's your vision here now? Before we again, before we get into the jarring and all the different yeah. visual stuff you got going on, what, what do you what do you yeah. want to do up here at Scratch? Um, so the mission is the same. It's to create a space where friendly paths intersect, um, because you know, as Herman Hess says in the novel where I stole that line from, um, where when that happens, the whole world can come to look like home for a time. So, ever and always, we will be striving to create a more and more welcoming atmosphere for our staff and our vendors and our guests. Um, and, you know, no matter who you are, when you cross that threshold, when you cross that scratch line, um, it's an equalizer and you should feel at ease. Okay, well, hold on, back up. The scratch line, is that where, that where the restaurant name came from? Yeah, it's, it's one of a couple meanings. We wanted to make all of the food from scratch. We wanted to change the idea or scratch the idea of what a neighborhood restaurant was. And we wanted it to be a place that was um, uncommonly welcoming. And so um, a scratch line in sports is the thing that makes everybody equal. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you cross the threshold, I consider that a scratch line. And I don't I don't care if you're the president of a company or you're um, somebody who is is uh, not enjoyed such financial benefits of being a president of a company. I don't I don't care who you are. I don't I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. Anything like that. Like you are here. That's an honor when someone crosses your threshold. It's an amazing thing to to recognize they made that choice. They could have made any choice in the world, but they decided to do that thing. And I think we've, to a, a relatively high degree, managed to let people know, that, like, we're really thankful that you're here. Like, really, actually thankful that you're here when you come by. And, you know, I don't really care. Like, we can change a hundred times over. Like, we have a gallery in the in the dining room right now. We're partnering with, with Zinka Gallery and an amazing uh, artwork by uh, Stephanie R. Brewster is hanging up in, in there right now. And that's the latest iteration of something, you know, that we're increasing access to this amazing art and making people feel comfortable being around it, right? Like you can have dinner here and maybe again someday sing karaoke after and feel comfortable with that. You can have a world-class jazz musician playing music while you have a shot and a beer and that's okay. Like there's, there shouldn't be these ridiculous walls that people have to deal with <clears throat> that separate them from their own pleasure. And, and I think that no matter what we do, that's going to be uh, central, for sure. So you've got passion. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned karaoke. I did. I, I do. I talk about it. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it a lot. Well, well are you going to bring it back? Yeah. For, for, those, for those four yeah. people listening. Yeah. yeah you never were four. here before. You know, we had, you had karaoke here. Yeah, every Friday I beat night. you the one time I came yeah, and I, sang. Yeah, sure. You know, it's I, may have a, had, I may have had one or two too many. Nico may have poured me a very tall uh, bourbon that night. Yeah, he doesn't work here anymore. No, he doesn't work here anymore. That's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry, general public. He's not here. (laughs) Nothing will happen to you. He can't hurt you. So, so, um, yeah, I thought it was a really fun thing to do. Um, What's your favorite song? What's your song? Your go-to? Because you're good. I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you. You're you're good. People ask. You know you're good. Okay, well, but you had to lean into the microphone when you're talking, so don't you know you're you're drifting away. Yeah, because I don't know what I want to say, man. I, it's, so I like Lane Staley a lot, man. So like singing singing some Alice and Changes is a really fun time. Um, but that's like screaming into a microphone, right? So it depends on the crowd. Sometimes um, singing Exile, Kiss You All Over is the way to go. You know, sometimes you gotta get a little throaty with it. I don't want to kiss 
Jungle. Yeah, sometimes. That one? Yeah, man, that's a good song. It's a really good song. <laughs> <laughs> I just love to sing. I think a lot of people love to sing. And Everybody the, loves to sing. No one, no one wants to go out in front of people so, and do it. You know, but they do. And I think the fun thing about this is, you know, and I'm all for karaoke rooms, but I think the cool thing about a karaoke bar when you make it work is that it doesn't matter how good, in quotes, you are or not good you are. The crowd is into it, man. And they, they just love hearing you do your thing. And Especially if it's songs they like. Yeah. Because they all sing along. Yeah. Then you really don't even have to sing. Yeah. And it was so great to see, like, the, the, the crowd change from, like, a, a, a wine crowd to a shot and a beer crowd and for high fives to start going around and... For people to just let that little bit of themselves go for a little while. And, you know, we'll bring that back at some point. Uh, for right. sure. Right. Yeah. Well, well, let me know. Yeah. The staff's not all into it, though. You no. Know? No, I mean, it's a long night. Yeah, no, I'm sure <laughs> it is. I'm sure it is. It's a long night. So, we, you know, we're used to and closing. And they're working, and then you're li yeah. listening to people like me sing, which is horrible. Yeah. Well, no, no, um, you're fine. You're great. Everybody's great. It's just like, you know, it's a longer day for them, and it's not a constant expectation of them, you know. So Okay. So you stay a, open later. Yeah, we'll stay. Well, we had stayed open until two. Yep. Um, I think if we do it again this time, we'll probably cut it back an hour, hour and a half or something like that. Um, just in deference to the staff who, you know, man, like none of the things we're talking about happen without them. They are there. Uh, I, I could not have been blessed with a better staff than I had carrying us through COVID. And now all of them. Every single one of them has stretched themselves, taken on new responsibilities, um, you know, done jobs they were, you know, not prepared to do, learned at a clip that is mind blowing to me and continue to do so. Like they, they, they're going to be the reason this place has legacy potential. They're going to be the reason this place can, can survive, um, you know, the next pandemic or economic well, let's downturn. Let's not talk about next pandemic. <laughs> or or maybe anything. at least, I mean, an economic downturn we can take. Or Another anything, pandemic. Or any whole man. Cow. You know, they, they are a foundation on which I think, you know, some really fantastic things can be built that will have very little to do with me. It's more theirs now than it's ever been. And I think within six months, it'll be more theirs than it is mine. And, yeah. and I'm super happy to see that happen. But I can't, I can't imagine a greater joy as a business owner than, than watching the staff take like fundamental ownership of something, you know, and hopefully in, in due time, we can transfer that ownership from me to them and it can become theirs in, in, you know, the eyes of the IRS too. Sure. Yeah. That's something you'd like to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I think, I think it's super important that over the course of the next couple of years, their pay structure is commensurate with them building their own wealth such that they can make that purchase when it comes time for me to start, you know, moving off some of my, uh, some of my ownership shares. It's great. Yeah. Much better than selling it to an outside entity, I think. Oh uh, yeah. Or, or, or just forgoing the business altogether. Absolutely. I mean, and it, it's not for everybody, but I think um, of the people that we have, some of them are probably going to want to probably going to want to do that. Great. And, and, we need to put ourselves in position as to whether or not that's for them. They are um, able to make that choice willingly and, and um, you know, 
because they because they want to, I yeah. guess. You know, like they, sure. you should do things because you're empowered to do them, not because you're afraid of something. Yeah. And and I'm hoping that we can create, continue to create that atmosphere for for the staff that are here. So speaking of creation, you you started um, and now created a retail brand. Mm. Of scratch made, yeah, scratch made, yeah. Of mostly vegetables, yeah. Um, I know you're working on a on a Luxardo cherry um, replacement, possibly. <laughs> I still want to try it. So, anyways, just I so mean, Italian soccer is great, but the Luxardo cherry, I can do without it. Yeah. So, how'd this start? What are you doing? Yeah. Why'd you want to do it? So. Um, so when I was at Parker's in Cleveland and fell in love with food, and then when I came to work um, at Six Pen and watched that um, happen at a much larger scale. So Parker's was like a 60-seat restaurant. Six mm-hmm. Pen was like a 310-seat restaurant. Um, but seeing that scale and um, that, that energy support local farmers um, was something that sort of stuck with me. And... Um, something I always wanted to do something with, but never really, I think had my priorities in line enough to do anything about it. COVID happened. Holy shit. The whole food chain is disrupted. Oh my God. They're just like slaughtering pigs and tilling feed under. And what, what do you mean? There's an auction system. And if a farmer, so, you know, farmers who have surplus product, um, they have to take it to auction Mm -hmm. to get pennies on the dollar. Um, because they can't necessarily find a market all the time for what they grow. Um, but if they take it to auction and the auctioneer doesn't, or if they take it to auction, the auctioneer gives them like 10 cents on a buck, let's say. Um, but if they choose to not go to auction because they found market share for, for, for their product, the auctioneer won't let them back, which means they have to grow. They have to spend money, time, effort on growing more product than they need so they, they can take it to auction and get less than what it's worth for the times when they're like, oh, shit, I actually have more than I need and I need someone to buy it from me. Sure. It's a racket. It's terrible. It's horrible. Local food tastes better because it's, in fact, better. It's more healthy. It's, like, less environmentally negative. It has less of an environmental negative impact. Um, it's good for population health, all of those things. So in the local economy as well. So when we were faced with like seeing this like disruption happen and the logical like um, conclusion is that, you know, farmers are really not well positioned to withstand this sort of uh, thing unless they're a giant farm. Um, We need to find a way to support them. And farmers since world war two have done an incredible thing in, in being like, they're super nimble. CSAs were developed, Mm -hmm. right? becoming aligned with restaurants and some restaurateurs over the course of time are the only reason I think about these things now, right? Like the Thomas Kellers of the world, you know, are the reason that I, I, I had the opportunity to, to interface with farmers to begin with um, and to learn about how important what they do is to all of us. So um, we decided that, you know, we, we needed to, to do something to, to support local farms, to support local uh, ecosystems to support the local food shed, which we define as Pittsburgh to Cleveland to Columbus for um, reasons about one day shipping windows mm-hmm. um, and, you know, having to do with, um, you know, the, the, the relative uh, uh, maturity of the farm ecosystem in Ohio versus Western Pennsylvania. Sure. 
and trying very to, strong in trying to bring the Western Pennsylvania ecosystem uh, along a little bit further. And so we started by just calling farms up and saying, Hey, like, you know, what do you got? That's like, you're not going to be able to sell. Let's, let's purchase those things and, and we'll pickle them. Right. So we started with some pickling products and we, we put them out to market and they, they, they did pretty well, but it alerted us to the fact that like there's a, an interested public they want to be connected to local farms. They want to be collected to to, to um, the local ecosystem. They want to know where their dollars go. And I did some market research, and it turns out that people want to know uh, a couple of things. They want to know where their dollars are spent. They want to know um, the environmental impact of where their food comes from. Sure, yeah. And they want to know the impact of that food on themselves. And I think when you start... You mean health-wise? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When you start uh, really focusing on those things and pulling your focus more and more uh, central to where a person lives, they can start making decisions that are more congruent with their own value systems when it comes to purchasing food. So uh, what, we, what we aim to do, what we're doing now, is to support the local farms by decreasing their costs and improving their market share. So we took all of these uh, products that are super, super easy for farmers to grow relative to the tomato. I sure. have a problem with tomatoes, right? So you cast... Um, you root a problem with tomatoes? I do, I do. Um, because, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah, well, there's a lot of tomatoes. They're everywhere. Yeah. Right? And just because people like them. And I love them. I love them. I love a tomato sauce. I love a pizza sauce. I love pasta sauce. It's great. But um, when I start to think about where those tomatoes came from and the premium price that has to be paid for high-quality tomatoes relative mm -hmm. to the, the crap you find in a grocery store oftentimes, especially in the wintertime, um, I started to rethink that. Uh, we were we happened to be serving some um, root vegetables at the time. We were fermenting, and there was a, a, a turnip and a rutabaga and a beet, <clears throat> and had all three of them together at one time, and it made this incredible like flavor explosion happen in my in my, in my face. So all of a sudden, I was like, "We can do something with this. We can make some sauces out of this." Hey guys, let's get to sciencing this. So we spent months, months developing recipes that uh, would eventually translate to what we're doing now. We make a ketchup and a pasta sauce and a pizza sauce and a hot sauce and a Bloody Mary mix, all from those three fermented vegetables. Um, why is that cool, right? Because a farmer can literally throw those seeds on the ground and come back a few months later, and they're going to grow. Tomatoes, it's a little more than that, but not much. There's some effort yes. involved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, relatively speaking, compared yes. to the tomato, sure. right? which you have to be very cognizant of the amount of water it gets, the amount of sunlight it gets. You have to make sure it gets plenty of sunlight, which means trees. Sorry, you take a backseat to this one. Um, and then, you know, they're susceptible to blight and infestation. And you, you can spend a lot of resource on growing tomatoes and nothing comes of it. Nothing comes of it. Yeah. And, and, and then you pick them and like, what, I got like five days before they're garbage. That's a lot of pressure on somebody. <laughs> Whereas beets and, 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 and turnips and rutabagas, you know, you can store them underground and they will last for months. Yep. And, you know, your yields on them are incredibly great. So, you know, we um, made these products that I'm, I'm super, super thrilled about. We're going to be debuting them uh, in, in uh, uh, Picklesburg with the Warren. Oh, great. I'm super excited yeah. about that. And um, they'll go to market shortly thereafter. So how many products are there? Uh, there's five of those root vegetable products, and we have uh, farmers calling us now about their excess in cucumbers, their excess in beets, their excess in whatever it is that we're working to 
uh, with some co-packers to uh, pickle and ferment and do whatever we can to make sure that we're paying market price to those farmers. Sure. Like I'm not trying to undercut them so I can make money, right? Like we're going to pay them fair market price. And we're going to process that food um, locally. So it's locally grown, locally processed, and only locally sold. You'll never find these things outside of that food shed. Sure. Ever. It, I won't allow it. It can't happen. Um, and yeah, so so in doing all that, I think we, we make sure people make a living wage all along the food value chain. And that's a difference maker. That's the, that we had that. We had all of that before World War II. And then we just decided that it wasn't what we wanted to do anymore. But it doesn't have to be that way. Sure. Um, is there more people in the world than calories right now? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you fold your hand, man. We just got to try. Yeah. You know, you got to try to start to recreate some things and, and, and create a better ecosystem and create a, uh, a more positive impact on the environment than we're... I grew up experiencing. Sure. Yeah. So of those five or six products you're making, what's your favorite? So <laughs> it's weird because I used Because everyone has a favorite chocolate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you only have one, so you don't, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's the ketchup. I'm, I'm not going to tell you it's, which one. It's favorite. the ketchup. I, 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 I. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. So, yeah. so you know, ketchup. Yeah. In Pittsburgh. You're yeah. making a ketchup. You think yeah. it's better than Heinz. You know, better, worse, who cares? I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's your favorite. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. It's got loads of flavor. It's tangy. It's got, it's got, um, so we make two kinds of ketchup. There's two skews there. Um, one's a rustic. It's got like a little bit more, um, it's like a little chunkier version of it. Um, and then we have a smoother one that has actually a little bit more tang and bite, a little bit more of a ginger snap to it. Um, I would say the latter is better for French fries and hot dogs and the former is definitely better on burgers. We use the, um, the chunkier one in a, in a barbecue sauce application. Ooh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's super versatile. I think that's why I like it. Now, right now, it's all retail. You can sell some to restaurants. So there's food service and retail packaging. Yeah, so I'll be up there tomorrow um, processing with some some staff in Cleveland and one of our staff here. And um, we're going to do two batches. Um, One will be entirely one-gallon containers for food service, and the other will be retail. It's all ounce jars. Yeah. That's awesome. It's fun. It's a great thing. Oh, it's a project. Yeah. Yeah. It's um now you gotta sell it though. Once you make it, now you gotta sell it. So yeah, it's um it's it's a gambit for sure. But I think that um you know, all the market research indicates people are into this kind of thing and we have some really good partners. You know, there are um food distributors that are interested in this kind of thing. I think if you look at grocery store footprints, um which is weird because I don't ever cook at home. Ever. But ever? No. <laughs> no. But every once in a while, as a restaurateur, you have to go, like, go into a, a grocery store. Oh, shit, we forgot to buy something. So <laughs> you go in there. Familiar like, with that. Why is the layout different? And it's because they're focusing more and more on local providers. And I think they're all, everybody's aware of the general argument that I'm making. It's the particulars that I'm interested in, though. Um, so, I, you know, I'm fairly certain that whether it's these particular products or some others that we develop or you know, whatever, man, what other people put out there. And there are a lot of incredible local makers that are entering the marketplace now. Um, that's a movement. Yeah. That's a corrective movement. It's, it's a thing that's happening. And, and it's only a matter of time, I think, before. That's an utter shift in what we do in terms of food. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, congratulate me for the effort because – that's all that really matters to me. Like, I just want to keep trying. I yeah. just want to keep going and trying and doing new things and testing boundaries and asking why the fuck things are the way that they are and why can't we change them? You got to keep scratching. 
So you say. How about that? How about that? All right. So when we started this, yeah. uh, or maybe when we took our break, you mentioned the fact that we had a ice sphere in our glass. Yeah. It's going to last about an hour. Yeah. I'm not sure how long we've been. We did two different recordings here. But um, we're just about done. My sphere is getting close yeah. to being empty. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to take a little more. Yeah. Um, That'll speed up the melting process. It will. We may have had. This may be not our first pour. No, I think um, it's I think it's uh, it's two. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So anyway, so we'll start wrapping this up. So yeah. one of the things I was going to ask you is, what do you eat at home? So you never cook, hardly ever. If you do cook, what do you make? Um, I'm, I have a killer scrambled egg. I mean, anyway, I mean, shit, I can make a scrambled egg. You, anybody can scramble an egg, but can you make a scrambled egg? It's a different question. Do you do you well, you whisk it up? Do you uh, put a little bit of milk in there to add a little body, or just eggs? So it's only eggs. Yeah, only eggs, okay. Yeah, but it's it's done on a super, super low heat in a cast iron skillet and uh, with loads and loads of butter. But Okay, um, a lot of butter, salt and pepper? Yeah, yeah. And any other a, any other seasonings? It's just a really, really slow sort of stir. It takes about twenty minutes. Twenty minutes? Yeah, I mean it's at home, right? Yeah. yeah. It's super rich though. Beautiful. Curdles up. It's great. I Put love it. Put cheese in there? No. And then you just have the eggs. Do you make bacon or anything else? Or just eggs? No, I'm trying to do a little less of the animal products. So if I do eggs, I'm like, ah, that's enough. It's enough animal for right now. Like an egg sandwich, though? With cheese on it or anything? I mean, it's animals. Sometimes, sometimes cheese, oftentimes not. You know, but, but bread, yeah, for sure. So like a, like a little egg sandwich. And then, you know, I have this ketchup that I make that I put on there, too. Yeah, I heard it's good. <laughs> I just heard it a couple minutes ago. Never, it's a neat, so You've I, never given me it. I've never tried it. It's amazing. You'll try it. It's a really pretty color, too. It kind of looks like that. It's, like, it's, not like, it's not like those, like, red, like, Heinz sort of color. And, and okay. nothing against Heinz except, you know, high fructose corn syrup and multinational corporation. And, you know, what's the plant doing there except they're making condos? I don't, I don't know what's up with yeah, Heinz yeah. these days. Yeah. I don't even know if they make baby food down there. They don't make anything there. No. Hmm. Nothing coming out of those smokestacks. All right, so we talked a little bit about going out here in town. Yeah. If there's a go-to, can't say your, your own place. No, no, why but would if I you're do gonna, that? Why not? Well, you never know. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go out for a nice dinner, where are you going? Um, and what are you eating? Or either or, like wh what would you go for? Right, so um, I think that uh, Morcia is tops in my books, and I think that I typically, I don't go there often, um, because when I go there, I try to not eat for like the day before, <laughs> um, because and then I like explore the entire menu, and or as much of it as I can. Um, A paella is damn It hurts. Yeah. Like, it, it is, I've been physically very uncomfortable after eating there. Um, not driving because uh, I, not because I've drank too much, but because I've eaten too much sure. and, I, and I don't trust myself. <laughs> so <Like>, I <somehow laughs> feel really good. Um, but that's how good I think the experience um, for me has been there every time I've gone. Umami, mm -hmm. without a doubt, um, is an incredible otherworldly sort of experience. You're not in Pittsburgh when you're there, which is... You walk like, up those steps, it's Which a is cool really spot. cool sometimes, you know. Sometimes you want to like just feel that you are in town, and sometimes you want to feel like you're not. Yep. Um, and I never feel like I am when I'm up there, except it's familiar, um, and the food's always incredible. Everything that, that Roger Lee does, I think, is just yep. tops. Absolutely. Yeah. And since we talked about earlier about cocktails, you just like tasty cocktails. You don't care what's in them. Yeah, I, I hate to say that because, like, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to say when a new cocktail menu comes out here, but um, I'm not... I'm not a mixologist. I'm not a bartender, you know. Is there a certain spirit you like best in your cocktails or you don't care? 
I really don't. I, it's not. It's not a thing for me anymore. Maybe at one point it was. I, I think I favored gin for a while, but no. Just you know, I try not to discriminate when it comes to alcohol. <laughs> That's fair. Equal opportunity That's employer. True. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with that concept. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so if you're gonna eat something mm-hmm. um, that you know you shouldn't, like chicken wings or pizza, like what what is your Go to. I've just got a guilty pleasure. A guilty is, pleasure. Is, is, it, you mentioned it is a chicken wing. Absolutely, yeah. That's the thing that um, blue cheese or ranch. <laughs> that's funny. Who eats ranch? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. With I you. know people. I mean, that, a good like, ranch dressing is nice, but I always it, think it doesn't it doesn't have any flavor. It just I always think stuff. they're joking when they talk about ranch, like yeah. especially people that are like, super passionate. I'm like, it's a joke, right? Like you now, don't do really you mean. Dip this. it into the blue cheese, or just kind of like, just a little. I kind of scrape the blue cheese crumbles up uh-huh. onto the wing, and I prefer flats. And and uh, you you know, really? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do a flat in like one bite. I love chicken wings. Yeah, they're great. Who was the best chicken wing in town? Oh, that's a tough one, man. I know it is tough. I'm not going to put you there because there's there's too many. I'll name places that many. I like to eat chicken yeah. wings, but I can't tell you the best. Yeah. Sidelines has a good chicken wing for sure. Millville, really? yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I like Millville. You know who else? Curtis Gamble has a really good chicken wing. Does he have a station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His are tasty for sure. And that like and that's the thing. Like you can't go to his place no matter how you want to eat without having the chicken wings. Hmm. Like at least every time I've been there, like I've. I've gone there with intent to eat. Like, I want to try a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. After I have these wings, <laughs> and I kind of feel <laughs> shitty for saying that, like now even, but I totally mean it. Yeah. Like, they're that fucking good, man. Yep. Yeah. All right, and last, um, as many people did in the last year or so, uh, from my understanding, is you have a Peloton. <laughs> so I'm. A, so did you I, fucking do that right now? Yeah. Did you? Just, did yeah, you just go I, I put it on. Yeah, because you said it. You said did it I just like, continue to swear like, into the microphone like and like fifteen minutes out. Like fifteen minutes ago. Um, <laughs> and so, so I like the Peloton. Um, sometimes it's a little too small for me. I'm a pretty big guy. Yeah. But so, who's your go-to guy, like guy or girl that you ride with? Um, it's Tassan. I love Alex. He's the best. I mean, he is the best. Yeah. He gives me the one, two, one, two. I'm like, oh, shit, I wasn't paying attention. But then every now and again, he hops off the bike, and he gives you this passionate, like, you know, you got to get on it. You yeah. got to get I mean, he, I don't want to hear that shit, he says. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to no. hear that shit either. Just yeah. shut up. I just want to ride. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I also like Kendall. Kendall Tool, don't I think Kendall. it is. Ooh. I'm new to the Peloton She's aggressive. World. She's I'm aggressive. New. I'm new. I'm new. I'm only 10, 11 rides in. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's amazing. I, I thought that I, so, you know, I, when I was younger, like 20, 21, um, when not working in bars, I would uh, work for a contractor, right? And and I had uh, done some roofs. So, like, I tried out for the part of roofer in my life, and I failed miserably at that. <laughs> like, it was... <laughs> Wait, failed why? Because you didn't want to walk up the ladder and carry the shingles up, or what was the... No, because I, I was... I was a dumbass 20, 21-year-old who was more into partying than... And working and so, so you didn't want to show up at seven in the morning on a hot roof well i but i would and yes. i thought that i understood what sweating was i mm-hmm. thought i got the idea the concept of sweat yeah but i had no idea <laughs> what that was until i jumped on one of these like stationary bikes it's insane like i mean so much just like it's it's kind of comical right and so the first time i i was on like a 30 minute ride and it was like this h-i-i-t sort of thing right 
and um, I'm doing the ride, and I'm just like drenched, and it's just like just sweat just like raining off of me and I, I found it funny and I laughed but when I laughed I made all these like micro droplets of <laughs> I swear to god it was like a rain cloud in the dining room where I was pedaling it was crazy I, like, like god bless Peloton like man it's 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 an insanely addictive thing um there's not a day that goes by that I'm not like I gotta I gotta I mean, only 11 days right but still it's, it's a crazy amount of data because you sit there and watch you can see other people riding the same time it's it's oh, uh, man I have so many enemies yeah yeah Sweaty cycle too. I'm coming for Sweaty. you. You're not. You got nothing. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Sweaty oh, cycle trying to one up me. <laughs> now, what's their age? Huh? What's their what's sweaty cycle too? I mean, it I don't. I don't that, know. Right? I don't know how anybody. I don't. I don't I'm not. I'm kind yeah. of a luddite when it comes to those things. Like yeah. I just see the names come up and down, and yeah, there's yeah. always a name that's in front of mine. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I keep seemingly the last year or two, we've had it for a couple of years. I keep falling down. Like I'm, I'm further and further. I'm, I'm almost to the point of going to turn off the, uh, the, the leaderboard. Yeah. yeah I'm kind I of guess you can do that. It's, it's, I mean, I, it just, when you're done, time, you're like, you're like, well, at first 12, I was like, well, that's the thing. At first I was always like, I want to be the top 10%. Now I'm like, yeah, God, if I can make the top 25%, that's what I want. I blame it on everyone bought one during COVID. So there's a lot more people now. That's and they're fair. harder That's and they're fair. better shape than I am. Yeah. I think I'm just getting um, in worse and worse shape. Well, I mean. My kids say that all the time. Age is the thing too, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and I think that's another, to bring it back to, to COVID, in time with my kid and priorities, um, you know, they have been like it's like a sine wave. Like there are times in my life where I've just kind of let everything go, and times in my life where like you can't do that anymore. Um, but more than ever, I think it matters to me um, that I understand the impact of my life, and um, the number one metric for that is my son's satisfaction with like how he thinks of me, right? And I don't want to be somebody that he thinks of later in his life as, uh, you know, not dedicated to themselves. Like I, I'm trying to, to, re to remember, like it's hard to keep this front of mind, right? Like every life that's lived, it serves as a role model for another person. And who else are you a role model, role model for other than your children if you have like that happening in your life, right? Like they're paying attention, man. Oh, yeah. He pays attention. Whether he, like, is conscientious of that or not, he's watching. And it matters to me that, that he knows that health and wellness and diet and, and just sort of being aware of what you're doing in the world are important things. Um, bigger than other things that might be weighing on me at any one point. So... I'm checking myself all the time. And yeah. Like it's almost performative, right? Like you're almost like performing for your kids yeah. sometimes and like trying to make sure that they can see some things. You don't want them to see everything, but you want them to see certain things, you know? Um, also a really great outcome of the last couple of, of well, I guess year and a half, almost two years now is this like understanding that I only have that time, that influence for so long. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, 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 it changes after that. You know where, um, I won't I won't be influential to him, it, not to that degree anyway. And and I don't know. It's really humbling. It's yeah. it's really it checks me often, for sure. Well, he's already beating you in chess. He's a badass man. He's so good. <laughs> he's so good. I can't I can't wait. 
I can't wait for him to just like routinely kick my butt in chess. Well, I appreciate you spending the time. Yeah, it's man. a good time to end this here. And uh, cheers to you. Cheers. All right. All right have folks. a good one. Yeah.